So our scripture today comes from the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter. This might be fairly familiar. It's the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was uh, a little bit over 10 years ago that my father passed away, and um, his wishes were to be cremated, and then his ashes uh, scattered um, at Charlotte Harbor in Florida. For those of you that don't know where Charlotte Harbor is, um, if you know uh, Fort Myers, Florida, and there's Sanibel and Captiva Islands, and the water that's inland from Sanibel and Captiva, they're the barrier islands for an inland area called um, Charlotte Harbor. And Dad fished there all the time, like every day for the last 10 years of his life, I think. And, um, and so that's where he wanted his ashes scattered. And so we made arrangements. He had, we had him uh, cremated, and Mom and I went to pick up the ashes. And, and we had, a, um, had them put in this cardboard-shaped sort of pillow-shaped thing um, that would dissolve in water. And um, the, the woman that was working at the crematory uh, asked, what are, you, what are you planning to do with the ashes? And I said, well, we're going to take them to Charlotte Harbor. And she said, no, you can't do that. She said, uh, by the laws of Florida, you, have to, you can't do that there at Charlotte Harbor. You, you have to go three miles out into the Gulf, but you also have to contact the EPA. Here's a phone number to let them know you're doing it. My brother was a chief technical officer for the FBI at the time, and he said, I am not calling the, the EPA about anything. We're going to put Dad's ashes in Charlotte Harbor while the tide's going out. He'll be three miles quickly. Well, sure enough, we loaded up into two boats, uh, several family members, and we went out into Charlotte Harbor, close to the inlet where the water would, most of the major inlet where water would go in and out of the harbor, and, um, and we prepared to put Dad that little pillow thing that's supposed to get waterlogged and sink, and then it has little flowers embedded on it that are supposed to release and come up to the surface. So my brother, the oldest son, uh, takes Dad's ashes, the pillow, and he leans over the boat and puts the pillow in the water there. And sure enough, the tide was going out because Dad went, <laughs> I mean, he was gone. 
He, he was three miles out before we got back to shore, I'm sure of it. He just took off. Well, fast forward several years, and mom is, is on hospice. And I think she only said to me about 97 times, Dave, I, I, I want my ashes, I, I want to be cremated, and I want my ashes to be put where dad's ashes were. I want to be with him again. And I'm thinking, Mom, dad's all over the world at the moment. <laughs> He's everywhere, but, you know, you always like to travel so you can travel with him. <laughs> so we made that promise to mom, and, and uh, this time it was just... Um, Three of my siblings and myself, my, my one sister just didn't want to go out on the water this time. Uh, so it was just three of my siblings and myself. And, and we, we went out and we, we hired a boat to take us out. And, and we had that same pillow thing. And, and we were getting close to the location. And, and the boat we, we uh, uh, hired um, was, was uh, captained by a woman who my brother asked, do you have a knife? And the look on her face was, are you a pirate? <laughs> are you about to steal my boat from me? But finally he said, you know, I, I want to poke some holes in the pillow so it doesn't just rush out, but, but, but it'll actually sink. And I, honestly, I wish I had it on video. My brother takes the knife, and it's like any frustration he ever had with mom, he took out on mom at that moment. <laughs> and then... And then we all gathered at the back of the boat, which was the easiest place for him to reach over and, and put the pillow in. And he leans over and puts the pillow on the water, and we're going to say a prayer as it sinks. And it goes, boom, just boom, right down. Didn't wait around at all. No flowers came up. I mean, it went straight to the bottom. It didn't take a, a second. And, and I, I think, you know, I'm not so sure. I, I'm not positive if, if God allows, you know, people up in heaven to, to do funny things like that to you. Um, but I think that was mom and dad just saying, lighten up, guys. It's, it's okay. I'm, I know we're gone, but you're okay. Have a little laugh for us and with us. And as you think about that, um, so many people today are, are going through the process of cremation. It's becoming more and more common, and the Methodist Church is fine with that. It's, it's, it's not an issue for us. Um, some people ask the question, well, you know, you know, at the time of resurrection, you know, I, I'm supposed to have a body at resurrection. What if I'm cremated? And I think, you know, the God who put together the whole universe could probably reassemble the parts, I'm thinking. I think you're fine. It's okay. Um, uh, I don't know if you can get out of that urn, but kidding. It's, you're fine. You're fine. Um, but so many people are, are, are doing that cremation, and, and it's an opportunity for us as we think about that to think about um, that idea of the ashes that we're about to put on our heads today. They're not the same. Let's be clear about that. These are palm ashes, palm branches that were burned. Um, these are palm ashes. But um, ashes are significant to our faith. Um, when, when you receive the ashes today, it will say, it w Greg or I will say, um, uh, repent and believe the gospel. Um, it's just one way of, of talking about it. But, but the ashes for us represent a couple of different things in our faith. And, and um, for instance, uh, the answer, ashes remind us that, that we are temporary. I think, was it in your sermon you used the term finitude? Yeah, um, finitude means to recognize there's a finality to your life. You're temporary here. 
And, and uh, God tells uh, Adam in, in Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since, you were take, since, since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, as we say in a funeral. We're reminded that, that we're just temporary here. We're a temporary part. We're made of the same stuff as the rest of the earth. And that's who we were from our beginning, and what we will become is ashes once again, dust once again, this sense of you're temporary here, here. But there's also um, a, a sense in that, that dust and ashes that uh, says repent in dust and ashes, and maybe you've heard that before. It's throughout the Old Testament, that, that idea that in humility, we're going to take time to um, recognize where we've gone wrong and repent of it. And so that, that whole dust and ashes thing, um, well, in, in the book of Jonah, and this is actually what the children are, are looking at uh, this evening, I believe, but in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 6, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but, but Jonah wasn't supposed to go in the mouth of a whale, he wasn't supposed to be swallowed. Jonah was supposed to go and preach at Nineveh about their sinfulness. And Jonah says, nah, I'm going to go to another place. That place isn't very nice. I don't like those people. And on his way, God shipwrecks him, and, and he gets swallowed by the whale. Actually, they throw him off, and he gets swallowed by a whale. And, and the, the Scripture actually says the whale vomited him onto the seashore toward Nineveh, like 2,000 miles away. He still had a long walk smelling like that to, to think of it himself. But he begins to preach in Nineveh, and it tells us this. It says, when Jonah's re warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Dust, ashes. A sense of humility to recognize that, that um, you know, when I've done wrong, I need to be humble about it. And that, that part of our, our message when we put the cross on your head with the ashes to, to recognize that uh, there's a humility about it. We are temporary and we should be humble in the midst of that. So in our story today, um, from the scripture I read, uh, is the story of Jesus. First, he's baptized. And then he heads off into the wilderness. And, and it tells us that it was the Holy Spirit's leading, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, led out into the wilderness. And so we recognize that Jesus was tempted. And we need to recognize for ourselves it's not a sin to be tempted. We understand that Jesus is without, a, without sin, and so it's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to dwell on that which tempts you. Actually, Jesus talks about that. He says that if anybody looks on a woman with, with lust in their hearts, we've sinned. He, he, he's saying that, that not that if you, if you oh, um, excuse me, uh, but, but if you've dwelt upon it. He says that if you're angry with somebody, uh, very angry with somebody, and I'd say if you're so angry that you can't get over it, we're liable to the judge, meaning God, for that anger. It's as if we've already killed, as if we've committed murder. 
It's the dwelling upon. And it's more often than not the dwelling upon that is the first step toward the sin itself. It's, it's the thinking about it and wondering about it and stirring in our soul about it. Sin is when we, when we fall to those temptations that are, that are all around us. They're everywhere, and they're around all the time. And sin does damage to our soul. It injures us in, in, within our soul. If it's our soul that ultimately ascends into heaven uh, when, when we return to the dust of the earth, and we've acted in ways that, that, that make it impossible for us to ascend into heaven, sin. If we've acted in ways that damage our soul and cause that separation, we have this soul damage because we failed to live out those, those two main commandments that Jesus gives us. Remember, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And instead of listing one or two or, or 10 or 12, instead of saying this particular one, he, he summarizes all of the, I don't know, 600 commandments. Somebody knows that list. There's, there's a lot of them, um, not just the 10. But he summarizes them all in this way in the book of Mark. The most, most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. When, when, we, when we do things that are wrong, whether it be within our heart or in the actions of our hands, we do damage to our soul. We injure ourselves within our soul. And most of us, I'd venture all of us, need a little bit of help in restoring our soul, repairing it. Lent oftentimes is a, is a time for you to give something up. And, and many of you do that, uh, and maybe you've made that a, a common practice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up something for Lent. And, and um, you know, you know if, it, if you're the one that gives up caffeine for Lent, you know you've got four days of headache ahead of you, right? You know that, that if, you, if you give up, you know, what is your favorite, all you do is long for that. You dwell upon it. And I wonder if then it's almost a temptation that becomes sin-like. If we surrender something for Lent, we put ourselves in the position of longing for something more than we long for God. Now, the, the idea with giving up something for Lent is that whenever you long for it, you instead turn to God and let God know, God, you are all I need. I don't need this chocolate as much as I want it. I don't need this cup of coffee as much as I desire it. I need you, God. But I think it's, we need that caution of if we, if we subtract something for, from our life, does it become our soul's focus? And I think we need to offer that, that, uh, that concern and, and um, that counsel that, that maybe, instead of, maybe instead of removing, we need to add. And I know we're all busy. I know we've got too much going on. And I know that, there, that you think of adding something to your daily schedule, and it, it is difficult at best. It, I just caused anxiety in the room. But let me ask you to consider something. In your bulletin, there's a, a card that, that we inserted. Um, and, and that card recognizes and assumes 
that our soul needs care. It needs repair. It needs healing because of the damage that we've done to our soul. And I'm going to suggest, what if you were to journal? You don't have to journal if that's not your thing. I, I have such a struggle to remember to journal. I don't know how many journals I own that have one sentence in them. And, you know, I put the date on the first page, and I write a sentence, and then I put it away, and I've got 12 of those, I bet, in a desk drawer. Um, I, I'm not good at journaling. But what if, what if you at least think it through? reflect upon it. If you don't write it down, which I think is a good practice to write it down, what if you think it through and reflect on it? And I gave you some questions. I don't expect anybody's going to do 100% of these every day. Some of you may be overachievers, and, and uh, um, feel free to impress me with the volumes you create over the next 40 days. But, but what if you take time to decide, you know, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to accomplish the first one, and tomorrow the second and maybe then the third, and maybe I'll circle back to the first one again. As you look at this, you'll see that it's not just soul care that is about the inward sense. I need to realign myself with God. But there's also a social sense to it. I need to realign myself with other people. It's the inner and the outer. It's the inward care and the outward care. Wesley, uh, John Wesley had a question that he, he would invite um, uh, his, his people that gathered in small groups. The Methodist movement didn't begin as a church. It began as small groups of people that went to church. <laughs> but it didn't start as a church itself. And, and so the, the, the primary question, the opening question in these small groups would get together is, how is it with your soul? And the idea was, how is my connection with God working right now? How do I feel about my life in the face of God? And there was a confessional aspect to that. The people in the small group were meant to, to together share a, a sense of confession around it. And we're not going to do that tonight. But, you know, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Again, we're not doing more anxiety in the room. But how is it with your soul is kind of an inward thing. And recently I was reading somebody else's sermon, and um, uh, I wish I, it, it was a, a few weeks ago before I, I knew where I was going with this sermon, and, and, and they, they said this, they, they said that in their groups they, they've converted how is it to your, with your soul to add a second follow-up, and it, that is how goes your soul? What's the outward expression toward others? How is it with your soul? How do you love God? How goes your soul? How do you love your neighbor? And so I put on the card just ways to do both the inward reflection, but also the outer reflection. And I, I hope that you'll, you'll think about that, you'll consider that. As, as we prepare now for, the, um, uh, for this, this time, as uh, the musicians are going to come out and, and, uh, and, and share a song and, and give you the opportunity to just reflect on the idea of how is it with your soul and how goes your soul? Because in reflecting upon that, you can begin to have that repair of your soul that we also desperately need. And this is just one way to do it. Uh, if you have a particular practice that you like and you haven't done it in a while, start it back up. Allow Lent to be a time to do the repair work that your soul desperately needs. Our musicians are coming now.